12.02 on the Canada Day edition of the Dr. Payne Show. 416-870-6400. Star 640 on cell lines are open. You got questions, concerns, pain concerns. You don't know what's going on. General health questions. Uh, give us a call. We're here till, uh, till 1 o'clock answering those. Happy Canada Day, brother. Happy Canada Day, John. What's going on with you this weekend? Not too much. Uh, and enjoy the, the long weekend yourself. Busy week? Yeah, very was, busy eh? week. I All actually right. have an email here uh, from a listener that I wanted to address. Uh, and it says that I have chronic pain in my left shoulder and neck that works its way into my traps and causes a big migraine. I cannot lift much weight in my left hand. My left hand also goes numb at times. Oh. I've been told it could be thoracic outlet syndrome or something with my nerve. The pain is daily and I am sick of taking migraine pills every day when the issue is initiating my headaches. So, you know, when we look at something like that and we've gone over this type of stuff several times, um, obviously numbness, weakness, those types of reported symptoms do start to, you know, suggest a neurological type of issue for sure. Uh, As it goes into... Uh, the shoulder and the neck, you know, we, w- whenever we're looking at a nerve issue and we're looking at, in this case, the left upper extremity, what we want to determine, is it a peripheral entrapment? What that means, is it potentially a muscle somewhere in the upper extremity or a tightness in, you know, the, the joint somewhere that's causing that nerve to be irritated? Could it be something more centrally located towards the mm-hmm. spine, like a disc herniation or stenosis? Um, or could it be even something further into the spine? Sometimes you can get uh, myelopathies due to tumors or uh, cysts that can grow in the spine. Or even further than that, we can go into the brain stem and into the brain um, with things that are neurodegenerative uh, in nature or potentially cancer, tumors. Those things obviously are very, very rare where, you know, the, the peripheral entrapments, the disc herniations are much more common. But it's not uncommon to hear this type of presentation where someone feels pain in the neck, it then starts traveling into the arm and equally starts traveling into the head causing headaches. Uh, Now, she terms it here migraines, which a migraine is a specific type of headache. Often when the headaches are are related to this type of issue, they would probably be referred more to as a tension type headache if it's truly a result of a disc herniation or something like that. But it's important to note that a lot of the nerves that come out of the neck actually go into the head and supply um, the areas of skin in the head. And that's why a lot of headaches are actually related to neck function. Now, we also have um, referral pains that we've talked about, which are not necessarily, um, you know, following a, a direct nerve distribution, but because the nerve innervates multiple areas, you can have pain in an area that's unrelated to the source of injury. So sometimes you could, for example, have uh, a trigger point in your upper trap that can cause a referral point on the same side, just above the the eye on the same side. Really? Eh? So wow. yeah, you can have things going that far. So obviously in this type of case, now she's been told that she has thoracic outlet syndrome. Which is? Thoracic outlet syndrome is a broad, um, I guess, term to, to suggest that something in the thoracic cavity is being blocked and causing uh, this type of nerve distribution pain. It could be things like a cervical rib, which you would have to take an x-ray. Sometimes people can have an extra rib at C7. Your ribs start at T1, but sometimes in, in certain individuals, for whatever reason, the body has anomalies, and you can have an extra rib, and that extra rib may be putting pressure on a nerve. Um, you could also have something like a tight scalene muscle or type pec minor muscle on that same side or you can have something else a growth in the thoracic cavity let's say uh, and, and not necessarily in this person's case but just as a as a broad term for thoracic outlet you know something in the upper lobe of the lung 
um, a growth of some type of pancos tumor could also press on uh, the nerves that go into the arm. So thoracic outlet just essentially suggests that the nerves that are going into the upper extremity, they have to come through the thoracic outlet in order to do so. And a thoracic outlet syndrome is just that there's something blocking that nerve. And so it's nonspecific, right? What's more, what's more important is to determine, okay, if it is something in your thoracic cavity, what is it? Is it muscular? Is it a bone? Uh, is it a you know, a growth of some type, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is a good example of, um, you know, what I always talk about where a lot of the things that we term diagnosis are just really good clinical signs uh, more than anything. And that's just an objective measure of something. So in this person, she's been told that she has thoracic outlet syndrome and she's treating that as a diagnosis, but it may not necessarily be the case because what's more important is figuring out, well, what's causing the thoracic outlet could it be uh, just a muscular issue or, um, you know, a disc herniation or something like that? Hmm. So uh, this is the type of, uh, of case where we have a lot of signs and symptoms that we've been given. And now from a, an assessment perspective, we have to go into the testing to figure out exactly what's causing uh, the pain, uh, the pain that she's experiencing and the numbness and tingling. But absolutely, when you hear these types of symptoms, weakness, numbness, tingling, uh, all suggesting some type of neurological compromise. Uh, and what's important to figure out is where is that neurological compromise happening? Is it just something in some of the muscles, some tightness? Is it a disc herniation? Is it something within the spinal cord? Or could it be something higher up into the brain? If it ended up being like a little extra rib, as you mentioned, what do you do? I mean, this is this is not a swelling that's going to go down. Do they end up taking it out or just working in, around it? In some cases, and, wow. and again, when you look at any time you're, you're considering surgery, you have to consider how debilitating is this for you, um, and then that helps you to make the decision. And the surgeon will do this with you, uh, looking at how much is it actually hindering your function, how bad is it, because if you can avoid going in, and likely, here's the thing, I'm not sure of this person's age, but let's assume she's even, even if she's 20, 30, 40, whatever, she's had a cervical rib her whole life, and it just right. started bothering her. Right. So that could uh, mean that maybe it's related to posture and that the cervical rib is aggravating things. So uh, surgery may not necessarily be the answer because it's not like she's five years old and saying, oh, I have a cervical ribbon and it's already bothering yeah. me. This this is a person who's who's likely an adult with decades uh, of it. Exactly. Right? And so, yeah. you know, it, although you've had that cervical rib your whole life, you only just started experiencing pain. And like you said, surgery always doesn't cure pain. Helps not function, always. but not always pain. Yep. Right? And it may sometimes not even help function. You're right. <laughs> we'll uh, take a short break. Phone lines are open. You have pain concerns, health concerns, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Just getting warmed up. Dr. Pain Show Talk Radio, AM 640. Info at paincarecanada.com to get a hold of Dr. Lou. And simply Dr. Lou on social. Lots of good stuff on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter with yourself. I know your wife handles all that stuff. So yes, she does. Yeah, she's the brainchild behind that one. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> Big time. For sure. It's not your bag, son. No. But she's not. good at it. Yeah. It's that time of year. In fact, you're dressed for it right now. You <laughs> yes. got the old. Uh, is that a Mizuno top I see happening there? No, Travis Matthews. Whatever. Mizuno, a- <laughs> yeah. You're definitely not a golfer. <laughs> really? Yeah, I don't think they've been in the game for a long time. I don't know what I'm talking about yeah, when it no. comes to golf. I just made a go- Fred Couples golf yeah. reference, and you're yeah. like, man, that was like post-war. <laughs> We're talking golf because it's that time of year. The injuries start to crop up. Golfer's elbow, which is a SOB because I have it myself. Lower back injuries, hip injuries. It's all uh, comes to the fore with golf injuries, right? For sure. I mean, any 
you know, when you look at people that are avid golfers, and even if you're not, um, you know, with the, the people who are not, they're doing something that's new to them, and that yeah. tends to cause an injury. And then people who are avid golfers uh, tend to put a lot of force through their body to generate uh, the club head speed that they need to to play golf. Um, so, you know, some of the more common injuries that you're going to sustain, obviously golfer's elbow, which is... Um, uh, a lateral epicondylitis or epicondalgia, which is just essentially where all the extensor tendons of the hand attach. Um, but uh, it's on the inside of the arm this time as opposed to the out, right? Correct. Basically? Sorry, yeah. medial. Medial. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, on the medial side, on the inside. And so, and it would be all the common flexor tendons. And so uh, what essentially happens, it's essentially a strain that's happening of the muscle. Yeah. Um, what ends up happening is when this initially starts, it's actually much easier to treat as it starts to become more and more chronic, it becomes harder to treat because what ends up happening is the strain moves from the actual muscle bulk and muscle has very good blood supply. Right. It starts to move into the tendon attachment into the bone. Uh, and if you were to look at, you know, when we look at where uh, a tendon attaches to a bone, it's not like it's stapled there, right? The, if we looked at it under a microscope, there's a transition from bone cells to tendon cells to muscle cells. And that's how a, an attachment to a bone happens. Uh, and once you start developing issues in that area, those tend to be harder to treat uh, because there's poor blood supply there. It's very white, coarse material. It's not correct. Not and like even muscle, if you right? look at you know artist renditions of the human body, you'll mm -hmm. see muscles as red because there's blood supply, and then tendons, ligaments are often drawn as white or a pale yellow or something. And the reason for that is because when we actually look right. at those tissues they don't have blood supply and that's why it's actually so much harder for injuries in those areas to heal on their own and even heal with somebody else's help such as a, a healthcare professional so yeah uh golfer's elbow is a big big thing uh you also start to get into shoulder and neck issues obviously because of the rotation that you start putting through your body uh definitely the next big area of injury after golfer's elbow is the low back uh, when you actually look at a golf swing, what you're doing is rotating through your hips and your low back. And your low back is actually not meant to rotate. And we've we've talked about this in terms of the workplace. How does someone injure a disc? Bending and twisting. Well, if you actually look at uh, a golf swing, it's kind of a bend and it's a twist. And so that is not very good for the discs in the low back. In fact, that's why disc injuries are so common in golf. Even when you look at the professionals like Tiger Woods, he's had to go through numerous surgeries for his low back for that very reason, that you're putting that much force uh, and rotation to through your low back, which isn't actually designed for rotation. When we when we teach people from an ergonomic standpoint, we're teaching them not to twist at their low back. You, you move your feet, turn the other way. Um, and so, you know, and a golf swing does has, have a component where you're trying to keep the spine stable and you're trying to rotate at the hips, but you can't be perfect all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you also start to potentially get hip issues because as you follow through on your swing, you're internally rotating your lead leg. Uh, and as that happens over time, uh, you can start getting impingement issues in the hip. Uh, another area is in the legs, in the knees. Um, meniscus, the meniscus in the knee, again, is your knee's not meant to rotate. In fact, <laughs> no it only, yeah, it just it extends and it flexes. That's all it's supposed to do. And when again, when you look at a golf swing and you see somebody go through the golf swing, they're actually causing a rotation component at the knee. Uh, and so, again, you know, I'm not suggesting that people shouldn't be golfing, obviously, because I love to golf myself. Uh, but these are injuries that happen 
uh, because of, of of a sport like golf, and it, all it really means is get these things treated when they're when they're low level. And, and I actually do that for myself. I I sustained a few injuries, but I try to treat them low level. Uh, that way, you know, I'm able to prevent them from exacerbating or from be, you know being really bad when they do flare up. Uh, so those are some of the more common injuries for sure uh, with golf. You know, it, it's funny too because everyone thinks you know golf as opposed to you know a football or a hockey. I mean, any any sort of sport. I use a quotation mark sport slash activity where there's a drink art and cigars. You don't think it's very high impact, but if you've ever slow ever watched a slow mo of Tiger Woods swing, the rotation is like almost sickening. Oh, like yeah. you can see where the injury would come from. Like he's doing a complete 180 around. It's, it's mad. 100%. Yeah. And, and you know, when you, obviously when you're looking at professionals, they have to play that way to generate the club head speed to yeah. hit the ball as far as they do. And what you end up seeing actually as, as people are, are golfers that as time goes on, they'll start to slow down the speed. So they have more control on the oh. dynamic of their body. Now you don't hit it as far, uh, but you may be able to play golf for a much longer period of time. You a golfer, you got injuries overall sports injuries or otherwise would love to hear from you. 1219 Dr. Payne show 416-870-6400 star 640 on sale. Lots more coming up. Hang on. And to call in till one o'clock this afternoon, 416-870-6400 star 640 on sale. Info at paincarecanada.com. You want to drop an email or simply Dr. Lou on uh, social media as well. Michael, good afternoon. How are you, pal? Hi, good afternoon. Um, I'm just calling. I'm actually going to play Royal Ashburn this afternoon. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, so it'll be a good day. But uh, I've been having chronic back pain for, I don't know, the past four or five years. I'm 33 years old, and I played uh, competitive golf when I was younger. I swing, uh, my swing speed's at, like, 110 miles an hour. So I got to, like, do what you guys said is lean back if I want to do for longevity and playing the game. Right. Obviously. But uh, so I'm not really sure I have... I went to the doctor and I've had osteoarthritis in my hips. Okay. And he told me glucosamine tablets are good. Um, I've also got some, it's called Baclofen, for yep. muscle relaxer. Yep. And uh, so, so yeah, I don't know what the. How bad is the osteoarthritis in the hips, Michael? Uh, I'm not really too sure right now. Was this your family doctor that sent you for the x rays? Uh, yeah, my family doctor. Yeah. Now, do you have limited range in your hips? Yeah, like I have a limited ability in my hips. Like I can't, uh, like touching my toes and even twisting like transversely. Right. Very, uh, very limited. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, this is the type of scenario where I'd be very, very interested to see your x-rays at 33 years old. Mm. Um, yeah. In the absence of having, sometimes when you're young, you can have dysplasias of the hip or avascular necrosis, and that can lead to some very early onset of osteoarthritis that's significant for sure. I don't know that a sport, any sport, and in this in this scenario, it being golf, that at 33 years old, you would have significant enough osteoarthritis that it would be the cause of your pain. What you can have when you look at the hip you, what, what often causes the pain in the hip is called the femoral acetabular impingement. There's two types. The first type being the, the true osteoarthritis of the hip, where the, the head of the femur is actually abutting against uh, the acetabulum, and it's a bone-on-bone contact. And, and I would think that in your case, even with how uh, high level of a golf player you were, that that's the scenario. What's 
also very common in athletes is the secondary type of FAI, uh, femoral acetabular impingement, which is just due to capsular restriction. So when you look at the joint, there's a capsule that surrounds it uh, to keep it in place. And when when anybody does a lot of uh, a rotation or or whatever, any type of high impact in that area, that capsule tightens. And that usually can mimic the same types of symptoms as arthritis, uh, but it's not due to arthritis. So you know, do I doubt that if we look at your x-rays that you're, that the bones are not perfect? No, I think everybody, oh, yeah. everybody has wear and tear to some extent. Do you have enough wear and tear that we can say it's the cause of your pain? I'd be very interested to look at those x-rays because yeah. just based on what I'm hearing, I would doubt that if, if I had to, if, if this was a multiple choice question, I would definitely pick secondary FAI just due to the capsule based on your history and based on your age. So, and if that's the case, that's actually quite easy to treat you just need really good manual therapy on the hip capsule which hurts while it's being done but very very effective and i actually uh, had avascular necrosis as a child myself so i actually yeah. have severely degenerated hips so i i it's of some type of a special interest for me i guess uh but i even get that type of work done for me and and it helps out with my severely degenerated hips so uh you know in the absence if you if you've never had any true pathology in that hip i doubt that the osteoarthritis would be um that significant yeah. Yeah. yeah and you know I, what the, I'm not, yeah yeah the, i'm not sure what the cause of it is i just know that it's uh, it's painful and it's, uh, it's been like bothering me for a while for sure and i don't doubt that it's painful you can have other things that are painful that aren't osteoarthritis the the issue here is a lot of times with you know just the general practitioners the family doctors they send for an x-ray they see a little bit of wear and tear and they're not well versed i guess in the pain generating structures of the musculoskeletal yeah. system mm. and they'll just yeah. chalk it up to oh you have some osteoarthritis there and and again we've talked about this extensively on the show um not just related to the hip but related to lots of areas it's often yeah. not the source of the problem uh, and, and and especially if you're telling me you're 33 years old and that you were a very yeah. high impact golfer i i likely think that it's probably more soft tissue related yeah and i'm still like in relatively good shape i'm 511 185 pounds so right like, um, yes yeah, yeah, so, so it's like i i assume that it's and i work out quite regularly it's just uh, i don't know what it is it's just my lower back and hips off to the side they're always tight and so maybe it's what you said is the fi fai is it is yeah it femoral acetabular impingement now there, again there's two types there's the primary type of femoral acetabular impingement which is true osteoarthritis and this is very common there's a very common gait pattern to it uh you wouldn't even be able to rotate your leg like it, this is when people get hip replacements um, oh, okay. And then there's the secondary type, which is due to the soft tissues where you have the capsule that tightens up, all the surrounding musculature gets tight, and it can create the same type of pain syndrome, uh, but due to two different things. What would you suggest that I go forward from here? Should I uh, get your number or should I call? Yeah, you, give, you know, I'll, I'll have your number. I think it'll be with the call screener, and so I can yeah. follow up with you, and then we can set up a time for you to come in for an assessment, and we just simply take a look at it from there. And, and again, with the FAI stuff, uh, if you have the x-rays, uh, that you've had previously. Anytime someone comes to see me, I just want to reiterate this. Bring whatever relevant information totally. you've had. I ha I've had people, the, the vast majority of people come in, they bring everything, but I have had a few people who come in and say, oh, I didn't bring anything. And it's like, you know, try to bring as much as possible for a couple of reasons. Number one, it gives me a lot of information. And number two, I don't have to order those tests or go, you know, order those tests myself. Why 
get another x-ray and and get more radiation if you've already had one and you know why let one of my team members send you for an mri which could take another three months if you have the relevant documents bring them and if you want to know how to get them just call your doctor's office and ask for them for yourself and just bring them in it's it's that simple to call the clinic by the way that number uh, 1-855-55 dr lou d-r-l-o-u and info at paincarecanada.com we'd love to talk to you here on the air for the next uh, half hour that number you know by now 416-870-6400 star 640 on sale dr pain show continues talk radio ma'am 640 and dr lou on social free consultations calling that number 1-855-55 dr lou d R-L-O-U, 12.31 here on the show till 1 o'clock. As we do Saturday afternoons, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Another pain. Uh, go up the chain a little bit from the hips and the back right up to the neck. To the neck. Lots Already. of that happening. Tons tons of neck yeah. pain for sure. Um, you know, obviously you can have very bad injuries mm-hmm. that, you know, we started the show off talking about potential disc herniations in the neck, uh, and that can cause a very specific type of pain. Uh, but I think... You know, when you look at chronic neck pain, which I think a lot of people suffer from, um, you know, oftentimes it's related to a couple things. Number one, it's it's the posture-related things. Uh, as we sit at our desks, sit in our cars, sit at home, et cetera, et cetera, we'll, what we essentially do is our upper back starts to slouch. Uh, and because the world is in front of us, our upper back slouches, and we then put our neck into extension to look forward. And that accentuated extension... Um, what it really does deep down, if you look at the front of the, of the neck is there's these muscles called the deep neck flexors. It puts them in a constant state of stretch. And when those deep neck flexors stop working properly because of that constant state of stretch, uh, it creates a pain syndrome. And this is, we, you know, again, we've talked about why the neck and the low back are so common in terms of the spine injuries. And it's because there's nothing there supporting them except soft tissue muscles, Versus the thoracic uh, component of the back has the the rib the cage, ribcage, which right? provides an inherent amount of stability, uh, and so neck issues very much due to the deep neck flexors. Now, what's interesting about neck issues is when we go get these things treated, you know, for physiotherapy, massage therapy, chiro, whatever it is, um, it's easy to touch the muscles at the back of the neck because. Mm-hmm. That's very easy to get to, and that's usually the areas that people are getting treated, not realizing that the chronic component of the neck pain is actually coming from those deep neck flexor muscles. And now those are very hard to get to because you'd have to move your throat out of the way, but that doesn't mean you can't do the proper rehabilitation exercises uh, to get those muscles better. Uh, In fact, when you look at things like in car accidents, and and I think we've all heard of whiplash disorder, all that really is, is is a constant, it's a quick stretch of those muscles that causes a deactivation. And now depending on how bad the whiplash is, you can have different levels of whiplash. Um, and again, the key really becomes with neck pain is not just getting your, you know, the back of your muscles poked at and mm-hmm. put machines in it and acupuncture. It really does become the rehabilitation. How do you strengthen those deep neck flexors? And there are exercises that can be done to strengthen those deep neck flexors to prevent that chronic pain. And that's, Similar to the low back, when we look at the low back, you know, with the chronic issue, the the goal really does come down to the proper rehabilitation of the core. Uh, And what defines the core is is the abdomen, the glute muscles, the, the low back muscles. And similarly, when we look at the neck, you wouldn't even stop just at the deep neck flexors. This is where you want to get 
the scapula is strong again. Mm -hmm. A lot of us have what's called scapular winging because again, going back to that posture where we're at a desk or we're driving, we're at home and our arms are in front of us. What we're doing is we're putting our scapulas in a constant state of stretch and that causes weakness. And so we get something called scapular winging. Uh, and it's also very important to to retract that scapula, to bring it back for proper posture. And and a lot of the chronic issues that we see in the spine are really just due to, to a deconditioning of the stabilizing muscles, uh, which are the core muscles, the scapula, and the deep neck flexors. And so, you know, in a perfect world, if we could rehab those things on everyone, we would greatly minimize the amount of chronic spine issues that we have. And that's often the source. And we were just talking to our last caller um, about the hip and about how he was told that it was osteoarthritis. An area of the body where this happens so much more in offices is the spine. People go to their family doctor, they go somewhere, they say I have low back pain or neck pain. They're sent for an x-ray. The x-ray comes back and it says you have degenerative disc disease, mild degenerative disc disease at, you know, C3, 4, 5, yep. 6, and in the low back. And right away, it's like, yeah, you have pain because you have some wear and tear. No. Wear and tear, if, if it's significant, if someone says it's severe, it's bone on bone, potentially that's the source of your pain. But mild, moderate arthritis, that's just wear and tear. That's that's gray hair of the skeleton, of course. Mm -hmm, yeah. Once you get to 30, 40, 50 years old, your, your spine's not going to look the same as it did when you were 15 or 20. Uh, it's just the natural process of being alive that our body deteriorates. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the source of your pain. In fact, when we look at studies on the low back, we find that the people who have osteoarthritis on imaging aren't necessarily the people who have pain in real life wow, and vice okay. versa. Just because you have pain doesn't mean you have osteoarthritis. And so the correlation is what the research has found is 50-50, which it's basically a coin toss. So you may have some osteoarthritis and it may be the cause of your pain and it equally may not be the cause of your pain. What's important with imaging and even not just x-rays, but even MRIs, things that are much more advanced, is that they're not diagnostic. In fact, if you look at an M well, if you look at an MRI report or an X-ray report, you'll see that the radiologist breaks it down into a couple components. He'll put your name, the type of study yeah. that was done, and then it will say findings. And the findings are the things that he'll actually he or she will actually comment on. And then he'll go into what's called um, impressions. And so that's basically saying, based on my findings, here's my impression of what can be going on. They don't write diagnosis. Because a diagnosis has to be matched up between what you see on the imaging and what's experienced in the clinical exam. There has to be a clinician who's actually physically seeing that patient to correlate those imaging wow. findings with what's happening um, in, the, in the actual physical exam. And then that person can give a diagnosis. So that's really important. And if you look at your MRIs or your x-rays that you have, you'll see it says clinical impression. And all that's simply saying is based on the findings that I see here, here's what I I'm going to say my impression is, but it's not a diagnosis. So imaging is not diagnostic. You have to use imaging in conjunction with a physical exam in order to come to a diagnosis. See, that's amazing because most people who would take their imaging from uh, from a clinic would say, here's what I've been diagnosed with. And, and, and that's exactly therein lies what the say. problem. And not only the person, wow. but even a lot of the times the physician will bring the patient into the office and they'll say, okay, I'm reading and the impression is da-da-da-da-da. And they'll say that as the diagnosis. So yeah, uh, impression, degenerative disc disease, C5-6, you have degenerative disc disease. No, that's that may not be the cause. Wow. You have to correlate it with the with the physical exam, and uh, you know it's it's quickly becoming a lost art um, 
in, in healthcare is is the physical exam because of how much reliance we've built on uh, testing, right? Because we're so good at MRIs, CAT scans, blood work, all this stuff. We have so much at our disposal now that it's so much easier to just send for those things. Uh, and so we, we often will say that the clinical acumen uh, of a clinician is greatly becoming diminished as time goes on because they don't have to think as much. They don't have to sit in the office putting the puzzle pieces together, becoming a detective, because they're just relying on um, on the the special test that we have. But you know, I think it's a, it's a very dangerous line that we're walking on because we have to correlate it with the physical exam. It's amazing. It's scary that you say that too, because it's it's something that you think would be at the core of every examination is the physical. You would hope so, but it's right. it's not. <laughs> unfortunately, it's not the reality. Clinical impression. Got to remember that. Do you do any impressions? <laughs> Yes. You don't you do so. We'll do <laughs> no. those after a break. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Open phone lines. Love to talk to you here till 1 o'clock. Dr. Payne Show Talk Radio, AM 640. And the number outside the show, one 855 Dr. Lou, D-R-L-O-U, info at paincarecanada.com, and Dr. Lou on social as well. 1244, everybody says it. I got fibromyalgia. It's like a diagnosis. It's basically yeah. muscle pain, right? Yeah, and I actually have an email about okay. this, and it's actually quite long-winded, but the gist of it is uh, the the person emailing me just really wants to know about fibromyalgia. They've okay. been diagnosed with it. Um, fibromyalgia, when you break the word down, all it really means is fibro, fibers, myo is muscle, and alga means pain, mm-hmm. so pain of the muscles and fibers. Um, when you look at fibromyalgia, fibromyalgia is what's called a diagnosis of exclusion because these people will often have widespread pain, widespread numbness, tingling, headaches, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there's a lot, some very serious things that can cause that type of presentation, Uh, something neurological, Mm -hmm. something neurodegenerative, something autoimmune, like a rheumatoid arthritis or something like that. So what a diagnosis of exclusion in medicine is, is once you've ruled out the most serious causes of those signs and symptoms, uh, what's left over. And, and, And this is what's left over, fibromyalgia. Now it's just a term to suggest that you have widespread pain of your fibers and your muscles that we're not really sure why you have that besides the fact that when you look at it, it's mainly related to the psychosomatic component, the the component that we've talked about before, where your mind's overactivity can cause overactivity in your body. Um, And, you know, we can get into why that happens and it's, it, that could be a whole show on its own, but simply fibromyalgia, people when they get diagnosed with fibromyalgia are then often given a lot of medications that are actually antidepressants in nature because, again, understanding that fibromyalgia is hyperactivity of the nervous system, what they're trying to do is essentially just tone down the nervous system. And the hope is that in doing so with, with antidepressant types of medications, that as we tone it down, that your symptoms should be better manage. And and it does help to an extent. However, it's something that, you know, I, I, and I, and I'm not against the the medication mm-hmm. for it. W- what I think needs to be done, what, what needs to be done better is that there's a combination of the medicine with cognitive behavior yeah. therapy. CBT is huge. So, so that the person is also trying to work on eliminating that type of issue. Now, you know, when you look at people, I've seen a lot of people that I have come into my office. Uh, there's something that we call fear avoidance behavior, right. uh, and it's the and it really starts to highlight the psychological component of pain management. And then it, it's an it's an easy way to make people understand what cognitive behavior therapy is. And my example is often this: a lot of times I've had people with low back injuries or low back pain. 
that come into my office and they're sitting at the chair as I'm talking to them. And when you look at, when you actually break down what sitting is, it's bending at the hip. It's bending at the low back, right? You're, you, you have a 90 degree angle at your hip. So theoretically, there's no difference between sitting or standing and bending, right? We, we could all agree on that. It makes sense. Right. I'll have that person sitting. I'm talking to them about their chronic low back pain. The first thing I do is I say, okay, get up. Um, and we're going to do a range of motion testing. First range of motion, I want you to bend and try to touch your toes as far as you can go. Oh, no, no, no. I can't bend. Well, and that's, and I, and I ask it for two reasons. Number one, I want to assess range of motion. But number two, I want to see how they react. And as soon as that person reacts that way where they say, no, 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 I can't bend, that to me is a check mark that there's a psychosomatic component to this person's pain. The reason why is because they have fear avoidance behavior. They're afraid to do something in a controlled setting because they believe it will cause back pain, but it doesn't necessarily cause back pain because they were just sitting. They just had a bend in their back as they were sitting and they were not in pain. But the moment I've asked them to do it from an assessment perspective, they now are afraid that they'll have pain. And I'll always say, well, why don't you want to bend? You were just bending as you were sitting here. There's no difference with that. Why? Oh, because when I bend, uh, you know, I'm afraid that I'm going to get hurt or or it usually hurts. That preconceived notion that that's actually not quantified in fact is the start of cognitive behavior therapy. Right. And what cognitive behavior therapy is, is you get that person to essentially identify what their preconceived beliefs are, which in this case would be that bending is mm-hmm. will potentially hurt my back to what the reality is that, wait, I just was bending and I didn't have back pain. So let me now bend as I stand right. and come back up. Oh, wow, I can do that. And now as you do that over a long period of time, you start to change that preconceived belief of, no, I can't bend to, yes, I can bend and and I'm fine when I do so. And, and now this cognitive behavior therapy... This doesn't work over one time. You can't no. just do that one time. It's you, therapy. You have to change your way of thinking. This yep. is something that is done over months, years. In fact, you can argue that it never stops. It's kind of like when you talk about diets versus lifestyle changes. Right. And people who make lifestyle changes are much more successful at staying at their ideal body weight uh, because they've changed their life. They're not focusing on this as a short-term uh, intervention as a diet is. Uh, and that's the same thing with cognitive behavior therapy, right? You have to change the way you think. You know, when you look at people who have social phobias of public speaking that have overcome them, they still get nervous prior to, ner- uh, prior to public speaking. They're just able to continue doing that right. cognitive behavior therapy so that they get through it. So it's an ongoing process. And it's the same thing with pain management for something like fibromyalgia. We'll take uh, we'll take it up from there again after a short break. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. If you got time to call through, info at paincarecanada.com and Dr. Lou on social. Dr. Pain Show Talk Radio, AM640. And Dr. Lou on social as well. Let's talk about your consultations, sure. appointments. Yep. Yeah. We'll talk about what the, the process usually yeah. is. Uh, so, you know, what what essentially happens, first step is is the free consultation. What that is is call one 855 drlou Uh, You can hit option two, which will leave me a voicemail. In that voicemail, just simply give me your name, the best contact number, maybe an ideal time to reach out to you, uh, and a little bit about your complaint. I have low back pain, five years. Very simple. You don't have to go into full detail because I'm going to have to talk to you about it anyways. Um, Then I'll call you back. Uh, It'll actually be me calling you. Mm 
Uh, I will then speak with you about your issue. And at that point, when I, the free consultation is just essentially to try to identify, is this somebody that can be helped with me yep. and my team? Uh, because sometimes there's things that can't be helped by me and my team and maybe require someone else's attention. And so that way we don't have to waste anybody's time. Um, from there, if it's something that I believe, yes, this is something that I that me and my team can help with. The next step is the assessment. You have two options with the assessment. You can do the assessment with anyone in my team or you can do it with me, which most people want to actually see me. So that's what I spend my time doing is the assessments with uh, new patients. You come in, you bring all the relevant information Please. that you may already have around that issue. Maybe you don't have anything and that's fine too. Uh, but if you do have any relevant information, you bring it in. We then go through an assessment. What the assessment entails is there's going to be a history process where I actually speak with you. This takes about 20 to 30 minutes, depending on what the issue is, how long it's been going on. And I basically start my detective work where I ask a whole bunch of different questions to try to figure out where did this start? Because what we want to do in that period of time is essentially, you know, by the end of of me and the person having the conversation, I should have like a 90 to 95% idea on what's going on here. I'm then going to use my physical exam and my special testing uh, that I may refer for just simply to confirm what I believe or uh, at that point in time. But you got a pretty good roadmap by that point. So. Exactly. And that's yeah. the whole point. And you should have a pretty good roadmap after yeah. you've identified someone's signs and symptoms. So that's the detective work. We'll go through everything. After that, we'll go into a physical exam. Physical exams are often include uh, some type of uh, observation and posture evaluation. Very, very important. So we're just essentially looking, are there any scars, lesions, bumps, deformities, uh, anything, you know, posture related that's really bad that may be the source of the pain. And what we're trying to do is trying to figure out what the pain generating structure is. So we go through the the posture and observation. We'll then go through range of motion of the relevant areas. Now, if you have a back complaint, for example, a low back complaint, I'm not just going to look at the range of motion of your low back. I'm going to look at the range of motion of your low back, your hips, and your upper back because we want to try to look at everything kind of in that area. Sometimes I'll even go lower and higher depending because some back issues may be related to an ankle issue. Um, so range of motion assessment. After the range of motion assessment, we're always, always going to do a neurological exam. Neurological exam is broken down into a couple parts. There's the reflexes, which we're all pretty familiar with yep. that. Uh, motor testing, which is just essentially testing the strength of various nerves. Sensory testing, which is testing how good are you, how good, uh, are you at discriminating sensation, because that's very important. And then what's called pathological reflexes. There's different types of tests that can point us in the direction if this is something that may be coming from the spinal cord or brain, something neurodegenerative in nature, something very serious. And those are called pathological reflex tests, uh, which are very simple to do in the office. So that, that'll be the full neurological aspect of the exam. We'll then go into orthopedic testing. Um, depending on the area of the body, there's different types of orthopedic tests. Uh, and then from there, we'll also do some soft tissue uh, palpation and bony palpation to try to figure out the structure. So it's quite a long process, takes about an hour. Uh, we'll then review everything. After we're done that, what I'll do is I'll give you, anytime you're dealing with someone that's a healthcare professional, what you want is what the primary diagnosis is right. and then what the differential diagnoses are. Differential diagnoses means in the event that I'm you know, we're human. I, we're, I'm not right 100% yep. of the time. So in the event that I'm not right, 
what are the other most likely things that this okay. could be? And I'll usually give two or three other options just to weigh it out, just so I can present to the person, here's what I truly believe it is. Sometimes but. things change, but you know, it could also be this, this, or this. After that, we'll give a plan of management. So what do you do now that you have this diagnosis? Awesome. What do you have to do uh, in order to get better? And then and moreover from there is the prognosis, which is how likely are you to get better? And prognosis is dependent on so many different things. Uh, the extent of the injury, the type of injury, uh, what structures are involved, the, the person themselves, do they have other things going on? Are they healthy? Mm-hmm. Uh, is this chronic? Is this acute? Et cetera, et cetera. So again, you know, it, it all starts with the assessment. It moves into getting a diagnosis, prognosis, and plan of management. And from there, that plan of management will include could be treatment with somebody in my team. It could be things like physiotherapy. Maybe it's a surgical consultation. Maybe it's injections. Beautiful. Or maybe it's just stuff you do at home. Or maybe it's referral to somebody else. People often say, what can I do? They'll call me with a symptom. What can I do? We got to figure it out first. Treatment is based on diagnosis. Diagnosis is the most important. Till next weekend, that number to do all that, get on at one 855 55 D-R-L-O-U, info at paincarecanada.com. You want to drop an email, leave a message by that number, by the way. And uh, on social, Dr. Lou, simply Dr. Lou on social. Till next time, the Dr. Payne Show, Talk Radio, AM 640.